we, we can show you the property on Thursday or on Friday, right? I think we have an opening on Friday or how about, how about next week? You know, and when people want to do business, they don't want to do business next week. They want to do business today or tomorrow. <laughs> and I always say money loves speed. So if someone wants to see my units tomorrow, my asset manager shows them the units tomorrow or many times today. And I can't tell you how many leases we've signed by just providing that speed of action and just taking good care of people that they're hitting a wall somewhere else because they won't show them the apartment until three days from now. Or now there's this ridiculous thing of people self-showing self the apartments to themselves, right? With with like like smart locks and stuff like that. It's like, what about if I have a question though, right? Look, I'll, I'll, I, I love cars. I love jets. I love all that stuff. But I don't, I don't think I'd like to have a Lamborghini in my driveway collecting dust for four out of the five days of the week. Like, really? It's, it's just not. I'll rent one, right? We'll go ride it and, and my son will probably be excited about it. But other than that, it's like, what for? right? Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 338. Stace, how's it going? What's going on in your world? We are one week deep into 2024, and I was thinking tonight about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs because I was thinking about how you've kind of been crushing your first year of the new year, first week of the new year, and I am equally surviving my first year of the new year, and I was thinking first week, <laughs> first week of the new year, I can't get it right, <laughs> but I was thinking about how like I feel like my New Year's goals are a little bit more about are a little bit more about like my physiological needs. I'm at like the base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and yours are like self-actualization and like the pinnacle. And it's just kind of the reality of a, of a year that you're about to have twins. <laughs> it's, a, it's keeping everybody alive. <laughs> anyway, but hey, we've equally thrived in the first week in different ways. That's true. We're survival survival mode, survival of the fittest a little bit. And you're the survival and you're the fittest because I, I got banned from exercise oh at sixteen weeks. <laughs> this will be my, my least uh my least active pregnancy of all time, unfortunately, but evidently there were some risks associated. So it's all right. We'll get back to it after they're born. Yeah, it's gonna be a good year. I'm excited. And in fact, I'm super pumped about today's guest. It's one of, uh, probably one of the most exciting listens we've had in quite some time, I feel like. I mean, all of our guests are amazing, but this is a very unique story. He's an immigrant uh, from Ecuador. And uh, yeah, I got a, got a crazy story. Started with a, essentially a magazine business uh, in Ecuador, mountain biking of all things, which is one of my passions on the side. And and uh, yeah, I came to the States and, you know, worked in corporate for a little bit as did a few things, uh, you know, on the e-commerce front, sold a few businesses and then got heavily invested in real estate. And uh, yeah, his net worth today is now 51 million. So going to be a great episode uh, with him. I'm super, uh, super pumped. In fact, we've also got a, a uh, sequel to today's episode just because, uh, yeah, things were rocking and rolling. So be, uh, be on the lookout for that coming later. I was just thinking about this. We don't have like, you know, I think it's around the horn. They've got like a, and, and PTI too, the, like the, the premier sports talk shows have like, you know, people fact checking them all the time and helping them out with any errors and emissions. And I just realized like we've never had any of that until I had a listener write in and uh, correct something that we had an error on last week, which I don't think was an intentional error, by the way, but our guest last week, age was 37, not 27. So apologize for that. Uh, I think it was mentioned in the episode, and then we mentioned it in the intro a couple times, and then went back and looked at my notes after I got the email from the, uh, from the listener. And sure enough, uh, age was off by a decade. So sorry about that. It's a small error on our part, and I don't think it was intentional on her part either. Uh, but yeah. So quick correction on that. I mean, to be fair, I was off on my age for a whole year. The year that I turned 34, I thought I was turning 33. And so when Jace told me I was turning 34, I was like, well, how, well, how was the last year? 
How was 33 for me? <laughs> yeah, and let's be real. I mean, a lot of us that start aging, we just kind of, you know, resonate with the decade prior. We just think we're, we think we're still there, but in reality, we're not. As always, looking for great guests to come on the Millionaires and Veil podcast. If you haven't heard your, your story yet, or if you haven't heard your profession, we're still looking. You know, I was thinking about, we haven't had a news anchor on ever. That'd be an interesting one. Uh, or any anchor, sports talk, or anything related to somebody with a mic or a voice or a camera. That'd be kind of cool. YouTuber. I know there's lots of professional YouTubers out there now. Be kind of fun. There's a bunch of professions out there now that I was thinking about going through our list and, and seeing what else is out there. But anyway, love to have you on the show. Send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Also, looking for our first review of 2024. So if you haven't put it on iTunes yet or haven't given us a review, I'd love to have you be, uh, be the first one to do so. Helps us continue to grow the show and uh, reach new millionaire interviewees. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode today with Carlos. Carlos, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Hi, Jace. Thank you for having me. My name is Carlos Alguero. I'm originally from Quito, Ecuador, South America. For those of you that didn't show up to geography class, I came to the States at 17 years old. And, uh, you know, it was my parents' dream that we would actually come and maybe get a college degree here and then go back. But after being here and getting a couple degrees, I called my dad and he said, uh, you know, son, I think you should just stay and, and build your life over there. And I kind of felt a little bit a little bit sad. I was like, man, and my dad doesn't want me back. But you know what? It's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. I, uh, I've, I went and got a job at Hewlett Packard for five years, worked there and did really well, but I was not built for the corporate life. So I started a business on the side selling stuff on eBay and that business exploded. And, uh, over the years, I've built e-commerce businesses, supplement companies, logistics companies, and now I'm focused in building a large multifamily commercial real estate uh, portfolio. So that's in a nutshell my uh, business story. I'm married to a beautiful lady. I have three kids, a 25-year-old and two about-to-be-12-year-old twins. So uh, life is good. Awesome. And congrats on on all the success. We're going to dive deep into some of this real quick. But before we do, what's your net worth today? You know, I'm uh, about $51 million right now. I was just talking to you before the show and I'm about to sign a couple a couple uh, commercial leases that should push that up. And also I'm about to buy another property that we should close in 60 days. So, um, you know, uh, that's one of the things that I've discovered and I wish I had learned it a lot sooner. Real estate is the way to grow your net worth very quickly. Yeah. So all of it in real estate, I presume? You know, it started with business. So it started with my e-commerce business. I grew that to, uh, I still own uh, an e-commerce company that brings in about seven, mid seven figures every year. That evolved into a logistics company that I still own today. We provide 3PL fulfillment services to Shopify sellers and e-commerce sellers online. That's another high seven figure company. And then I built a supplement company into in 2018, and we took it to eight figures in uh, about 18 months. So when I sold that business, I used that capital to start investing in large commercial real estate. So, you know, it started in business and I've probably doubled, if not tripled my net worth in the last few years by investing in real estate. I built my supplement company uh, from 2018, sold it in 2020. And, uh, you know, it was an eight-figure sale. So when that happened, I was like looking for a place where I could put my money to work. And that's when I look back and I had bought a large industrial building 12 years ago. And I had bought, you know, single family homes, duplexes, triplexes, and other small real estate investments uh, for the last 15 years. And I was like, you know, uh, real estate has never been a bad investment for me. I've always made money. It's always grown without even me doing much other than taking care of tenants and maintaining the property. So, you know, that that was kind of a good, safe way for me to put the money to work. And then I fell in love with the commercial real estate. And uh, now I'm obsessed about it. So you started with business and, and you still own two of the three companies that you started? I still actually own, uh, let me see, I still own the e-commerce business, the logistics business. I have a printing company and I have a real estate education company. So still own those four plus oh, wow. uh, real estate education business. And you've only sold one along the way? I've only sold the supplement company along the way, yes. Okay. And are those other businesses, do you have any day-to-day -day involvement or do you just kind of oversee them at kind of a board level at this point? Very little. Uh, the 
you know, the logistics company, I have an, an amazing team that runs everything for me. I maybe spend, I would say, 20, 30 minutes in that business every week. So very, very hands off. And uh, my printing company, I do zero in, you know, same hands off. And uh, the real estate education business I do, and it's complementary to my real estate acquisition business. So, you know, that's basically the business that I'm in 100% of the time in right now. So, I mean, safe to say you're, you're really a truly a, a serial entrepreneur, even though you've got quite the real estate portfolio at this point too. You've got a massive business portfolio as well. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I always tell people I never did more than one thing at one single time. Like uh, it was always, I started my business. I dedicated 100% to that one business. Once I had the business stabilized, delegated to managers, delegated to people, that's when I started the next one and did the same thing and the same thing. And you know, then is when I, I sold that supplement company is when I realized, you know, that's what I want to do. Um, and then when I found real estate, I just realized that uh, all the skills that I had built building businesses apply directly to commercial real estate. But the uh, return on my time invested is so much greater in real estate than in business. Hmm, interesting. So over the years, as you've built up these businesses and now building up the real estate, I mean, how much... How did you decide how much to essentially take off the table, reinvest in the business, reinvest in the next one? I mean, how do you think about that process for yourself? Yeah, look, for the businesses that I have, there's businesses that are like completely self-sustaining, plus they create enough capital for me to reinvest and grow. You know, like like the, the e-commerce business or the logistics business, those businesses have plenty of capital to grow at a 20, 25% year over year. And, uh, you know, eventually I'll sell those as well. I'm, I'm working on, you know, getting them to a certain point where I can just exit out of those and just have only my real estate to be my my forever business, right? My, my long-term business that lasts uh, for my lifetime and then my kid's lifetime and then probably multiple generations after me. So that's kind of my, my, my criteria, right? I want to do something that that is uh, not only uh, short term, but that I don't I don't have to worry about it growing or or maintaining. And uh, I think you know the real estate for me has been that that solution. And how much do you estimate that you have in real estate equity versus kind of your business equity or business portfolio of your net worth? It's about it's about two thirds of my equity is uh, real estate. At this point. Oh, wow. So you've got quite a bit in real estate. And how many how many doors total is that now? 1,200. Wow. And you've built that up how fa- How quickly? In about a year and a half. Holy cow. And you're still doing this in this interest rate environment, correct? Yeah. 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 And I'll tell you, I'll tell you kind of what the, the, the secret is. Really, you know, it, the, the interest rates are irrelevant if the price of the asset still makes sense and it cash flows. Because um, I'll tell you right now, I'm acquiring a property that originally I saw for $15 million 12 months ago. And it didn't make sense at the time. It was too expensive, but we've kind of stayed around the rim. They didn't sell it. And over time, they've come back to us and said, hey, you know, you still want to put an offer. And I put a very offensive offer, a $10 million offer. And they're like, you know, you're, 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 you're too low, but they didn't cuss me out. Like they didn't, like they didn't feel completely offended. So I'm like, this is interesting. You know, I thought they were going to just tell me to go pound sand, but they didn't. So I was like, am I close? And and they're like, well, maybe. So I, you know, kept, kept working on it and uh, took me about 90 days. But right now I have that property under contract for 10.7 from an original 15. Really valuable insight. Thanks for sharing your, your thoughts. I know that interest rates have a lot of people nervous and, and making those purchases, um, but that, that's helpful, helpful wisdom. So I'd like to back up a little bit you yeah. call your dad. You think you're going back to Ecuador. He's like, you stay there. At that point, what was your original goal? Was it, and and maybe at what point did finance really get on the radar of building a net worth? Was that was that the plan all along? Or did you just kind of realize, I think I want to make more money than this? You know, I thought the original plan was me coming and getting a couple degrees and going back and helping my dad build build up his small business. Like he had a small printing business in Ecuador and um, I thought I was going to be his successor. Like, you know, my, my older brothers 
never were interested. So I thought actually I was going to be the guy that I would take that from him and grow it. And uh, when he said, no, son, I'm, I'm, I'm about to retire. I'm going to sell my machines and just keep the real estate because he built a little a real estate industrial complex in Ecuador. I was like, I was bummed out. I was like, man, my dad doesn't want me back to run the business. But I think he's, he was wise enough to realize that I would have a much greater opportunity here because, you know, here in the U.S., the opportunities are infinite compared to in Ecuador, South America, right? So that was kind of the disappointment was like, he doesn't want to be back, but I'm like, you know what, let, let me let me try this, right? What's, what, what do I lose? I, I was still in my early 20s. So I went to the Silicon Valley, San Jose, California, and I applied to a handful of tech companies. And I really wanted to work for Hewlett Packard for some reason. I think it was because it was a printing company and my dad had a printing company. So I was like, I want to work here. And they were not hiring engineers without experience. And I was fresh out of college, no experience. And I'm like, hey, wh what about you guys hire me and don't pay me? I was like, yeah, only interns do that. And I'm like, well, I'll be an intern. And I'm like, you're over overqualified. I was like, I don't care. I just want to work. And uh, it was my foot in the door to learn and to be there. So they accepted. And, you know, I was I was the first one in the office, last one out for six months. And after that, I think they just felt sorry that they were not paying me. So, you know, they offered me a, a, a junior I engineering job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you, you, you know what? I, I think that's something I learned from my dad, too, because I, I worked for, for him since I was 10. And uh, we went to the office every night. We, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we were working there till like seven, eight o'clock at night. And he would just put us to do whatever he needed, right? Graphic design, cutting paper, uh, cleaning the floors, uh, you know, taking the trash out, whatever. And we never had a discussion about money. Like it was never, oh, dad, I've done this, pay me this. Never. It was part of the family. It was part of us contributing. Uh, I didn't even know that people got paid by the hour back then, right? So it never bothered me one bit. So when I got here and I had to do that, it was not this big burden of like, shoot, they're not paying me. They're abusing me there. I was like, I was delighted to be in a multi-billion dollar business learning from all these engineers that had been working there for years, years and years, right? If, if anything, I would have paid them for that education because you don't learn that in college, right? You learn that in the job. How did you afford that? So I was uh, moonlighting. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was doing stuff. I was doing stuff at night. I was, uh, I was uh, cleaning stuff. I was uh, serving tables. I was, you know, I was uh, selling stuff uh, on the side. And that's kind of how also my e-commerce business started because I started my e-commerce business at the same time that I started working for Hewlett Packard. eBay was just getting started in, in those days. So I started flipping things, right? Flipping over stock products, servers, toners, cartridges, you know, whatever, whatever I could. And, and that kind of is what gave me a, a, the idea of maybe, maybe I can actually run a business. And the decision was made for me when in 2001 and, and after 9-11, every one of these tech businesses started either, if, you, if they were small, they went out of business, like the big HPs and Intels and Microsoft actually compressed, right? They, they started firing people and HP got rid of like 10,000 people. I, I, by then was, uh, engineering manager for North America. And I had 100 engineers in my group and I had to fire 50 engineers in my group. And that was awful. Like I, I hated it. I, I was, I felt, I felt terrible because a lot of these guys were not in their twenties like me. They were, you know, people that had been working 10, 15, 20 years at HP with families, mortgages, bills. And I was a kid on the other side of the table telling them, Hey, you don't have a job on Monday. So after I fired them, guess who got fired, right? I did. And, 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 that's, and that's when I rolled into the full-time e-commerce business because I didn't have a job. So that they made that decision for me. And what was tricky too is that my work visa to stay in the country was tied to HP. So when they technically they fired me, I couldn't go and apply to any other company. I had to either work for HP or not work, right? technically not work. So the only other solution is like, let me make my own money. And you know, that's how I started my eBay thing and, and started building that business and then moved back to Colorado because my mom was living in Colorado at the time uh, she had moved here. And I moved back into my mom's house, rented a room, rented her garage for my for my inventory, rented her basement for my uh, for my office. 
and uh, she was my first employee. Wow, what a start. So when you got fired from HP, was your e-commerce built you was your e-commerce business generating as much as you were making from your day job or was it still a pretty side hustle that you know it was it was um in sales it was probably generating what my day job was generating but it's different right because you have to keep buying inventory to keep making the money so it, i was not taking home 100% of the money that i was making i was reinvesting every penny that i had back in the business you know and, and when i was working for HP, I, I was in my 20s, early 20s, making six figures, like $180,000 a year. And I was rolling in it, right? I was like, man, I'm going to go buy a Beamer. I'm going to go uh, rent this this three-bedroom apartment. And I did. I bought a BMW M3 and I rented a, a luxury apartment. And and then as soon as I got fired, I'm like, shoot, man, you, you, you screwed up. So I scaled back my expenses like way down. And that's why when I moved back to Colorado, I was like, hey, mama, would you would you rent me your your spare bedroom for 700 bucks a month? Right. <laughs> so I, I went back to basics and, uh, you know, that was good because I I reinvested for a good five, seven years. Every penny extra that I made, it went back into the business. Carlos, you start this business, you start another business, you start another business. As you mentioned before, each time you started kind of getting management in place and it was less hands off, how much did you end up taking to start the second business? Or did that start with less than a few hundred dollars as well? You know, I always started complementary businesses to what I was doing. So for example, I, I had my e-commerce business and uh, really what started doing it is like I was renting warehouses. I was renting, I remember the last warehouse I rented was 10,000 square feet after we had moved from my mom's garage to a storage unit to a bigger storage unit to a little 2000 square feet to 5000 and and I became a tenant and I became on the receiving end of a of a lease and man I hated it because I it was a triple net lease so for those of you that understand what a triple net lease means that you're paying for everything right you're paying for the rent the taxes the insurance the common area maintenance so it's almost like owning the, the building, but without owning the building. And and I was like, you know what? I need to do something different. I, I need to be on the other end of this. So about seven years in to my business, I was like, I need to I need to buy me a building. And I, I had a few brokers looking for me and I was able to find a building that I still own today. It's uh, almost 50,000 square feet here in Denver and uh, on four acres. And, uh, and it was it was completely in ruins. Like uh, it only had the shell right? Nothing inside. It was, it was just like a big concrete building built in the sixties that could be a tornado bunker and, and, uh, you know, super well built, but I had to put a lot of money into renovations, but I fell in love with the property ever since I bought it. And, you know, I bought that 12 years ago for about $850,000. That building today is worth $8.8 .8 million, just to give you an idea. Wow. Right? I had no clue though. Like I had no clue that it was going to be such a good investment. But what I did know is what I did not want. And I did not want to be a tenant anymore. So once I had this big building, I was like, what else do I do in this building? Because I have a mortgage and I have to pay for this mortgage. So the e-commerce business, at first I was fulfilling my own orders, shipping my own orders, inventorying my own stuff. And then I started going to masterminds for people that were successful in e-commerce. And in one of these masterminds, I was having a conversation with someone and, and I told them, hey, I have a warehouse. And somebody overheard heard that I was close and said, really, you have a warehouse? It's like, yeah. It's like, look, I have stuff coming into the port of Long Beach in three days. I have three containers and I don't have a place to put them. Can I put them in your warehouse? And I'm like, sure. How much is it? I'm like, I'll tell you tomorrow. Because I had no idea how to, what to charge, right? <laughs> That's the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get I'll back. Tell I'll tell you tomorrow. So that night, it was a conference in, um, in the Netherlands, actually, right? We were meeting with a whole bunch of e-commerce sellers from Europe. And um, that night I went on the internet and found every company that I could find that was doing fulfillment, inventory, 3PL services. And, and I tried to find pricing and I, you know, and I got pricing from like three companies, put up a price list, uh, went to the FedEx print center in the morning, printed it out. And I gave it the guys like, here's, here's my, here's my price sheet for inventory and, and inbound, outbound, all the stuff. 
And he looks at it, he's like, dude, these are good prices. Sounds good. Let's do it. And I'm like, dang, I, I, I probably charge too cheap. <laughs> so anyways, that was my first logistics fulfillment client. And he sent three containers, referred to another two, three people. And then, you know, what I discovered too is this complimentary business. Now I was storing people's goods in my warehouse and I was charging them by the cubic foot, right? Because every box in my warehouse that is not mine pays rent every week by the cubic foot. So now I, I could store as much inventory from other people in my warehouse and they would actually pay for my mortgage on that building. And over a couple of years, I ended up with a free warehouse that other people were paying for. So that's how the logistics business started. My printing business also was born from, I had a few customers that said, Carlos, I need to put flyers in my products. I need to put labels, stickers, uh, things like that. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm the son of a, of a printer. I know how to do this. So I went out and bought a couple machines, trained a few people how to use them. And voila, I was in business with a printing company just like that. So every one of my businesses has been like that, right? Complimentary to the first, very little money to, to get started. And then I've just, you know, pushed it and scaled it to um, multiple million dollar status. And um, same thing happened with that supplement company that I sold. And once again, I was doing fulfillment services for a lot of nutrition companies. At one of these masterminds, I met a guy that uh, introduced me to someone else. And uh, he called me up one night and said, hey, I have a friend that needs to sell his business. And I'm like, what is it? He's like, oh, it's a beauty. It's a beauty brand on Amazon. And I'm like, um, but he really needs to sell his business in quick. And uh, I hear that you have a few hundred clients that you do fulfillment for. Could you help out and look for a buyer? So I'm like, yeah, I'll try. So I picked up the phone the next day, called a uh, hundred or so of my customers and said, hey, you know, this brand is selling online. It's pretty good price, blah, blah, blah. Out of the hundred or so calls, three people got interested. Two people put an offer. One people bought the business. And uh, so I helped this guy sell his $6 million brand. And uh, he wired me two days later, $250,000 commission for that sale. And then two days later, he called me up and said, hey, Carlos, let's start a business together. And I'm like, all right, what do you propose? Well, you provide all your services with your warehouse and your marketing and all that stuff. Oh, and by the way, just that 250 that I paid you, let's roll it back into the new business. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> that wire is still pending on my account. Let it, let it at least settle. <laughs> Shopify is the e-commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person POS system or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers into buyers. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business and take it to the next level. Sign up for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com unveiled. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com unveiled to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com unveiled. And thanks to Shopify supporting for supporting today's episode. <laughs> Let it dust off, huh? <laughs> and I'm like... At that point, it was sales money, right? It's like, okay, let's roll. So I reinvested the 250 into the business. He put to his 250, and uh, I went out and found an influencer doctor that uh, you know he looks like like uh, like the the most fit man in the world, but he's also a doctor. Uh, his name is Doctor Emil, and uh, we launched a supplement company with five products, and two of them just took off like a rocket, like literally overnight they just took off like a rocket with you know with the stuff that we did on amazon that we knew for many many years and uh during covid the thing just even more so took off like a rocket because everybody was buying supplements during covid and um you know in the middle of covid my my friend just got my friend just got nervous and uh my partner said hey just sell because we're at the top of the market we're at the top of the market and i'm like i didn't want to sell but i was like okay let's let, let's go right let's cash out and uh, and we did, and and I'm kind of glad we did. The brand's doing really well. It was bought by a private equity group that put it in a bunch of retail stores and GNC and Walmart and you know Kroger and all these places, and it's still growing today. I I, I buy still the products that uh, that I helped start. So so it was a, it was a fun story. 
So that's how I sold the, the supplement business. And, and then a new problem appeared, which was, shoot, what do I do with all this money, <laughs> right? And I'm about to pay this big tax bill too from my sale. So that's when I found commercial real estate and figured out that I could you know, buy properties with other people. I didn't have to buy them all by myself and I could bring other investors into my deals and then I became a, a real estate professional and, uh, you know, have some of the most amazing tax benefits there is because it's the most tax advantaged investment out there of anything else. Man, that's, uh, that's an awesome journey. Real quick on the supplement company, did you cash out completely or did you end up rolling a little bit of equity? You know, I proposed it. I wanted to I wanted to keep some equity in, but the group didn't want to. The the group the group didn't let us stay in with equity. Like my partner didn't want to. I, I wanted to, but uh they they didn't let us. But what I did keep for a few years is all the fulfillment business for them. So for about two years after I sold, I was still fulfilling every box, every package, inventorying every product. So, you know, it still had revenue from the sale after the sale. Gotcha. Good deal. You should have at least worked in that you got free supplements after. Right? <laughs> True. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So transition to real estate in the last day, I said year and a half, you've been buying on a been on a buying spree of multifamily. Why did you decide? I mean, I know you mentioned the tax benefits, but what was it specifically about multifamily that you liked versus maybe going and started another business after you've been so successful with so many businesses? You know, I, I realized after I bought my my first larger deal, I realized that buying businesses and buying real estate so much easier than starting stuff from scratch. Like starting starting businesses is hard, right? Like not every business that I've started has been successful, by the way. Right. I've probably started at least ten businesses. Four of them became a success. Six of them I've I flunked, right? I failed. And it's not easy. So that's really the, 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 the hard part about building businesses is for the first three to five years, you could very well fail. But when I started buying properties that were already almost stabilized, cash flowing, already had everything in place, I realized, man, this is a much better thing. I can just roll in and buy cash flow optimize the business, optimize the property, optimize the business plan, and then increase the value of the business so much faster in a very short period of time. Yeah, I, for, I hear you on that for sure. Have you sold any pieces of real estate or have you just acquired? I've sold the small stuff. Uh, the, the, the model that I, I, I've chosen for my commercial real estate is I buy stuff that I want to keep for like 10, 15, 20 years, like beautiful beautiful property. Um, you know, I have a, a I'll, I'll give you an example. I have a mixed use commercial complex in Tennessee, right in front of a hospital that uh, is like trophy asset, triple A class. Yeah, some of my tenants are Morgan Stanley, Dr. Webb Plastic Surgery, you know, F45 Fitness, OBGYN clinics, you know, like super high end complex. So this is a place where you know, it, it, there's there's really no need for me to sell it. And in just one year that I've owned it, we've increased the value of that property by $9 million in one year. And, you know, that is hard to do in business. Like it, it can be done, but it requires a lot of people to scale that quick and that fast and a lot of capital. The only thing I've done to this property is market it well, manage it well, and lease up empty commercial space that was available when I bought it. Plus, increase the rents of tenants that were just under market rent for a few years before I took over. That's it. I haven't done renovation, no construction. I haven't hired an army of people. I have one asset manager in that property that I've empowered to earn equity over the years uh, so that he's now part owner of the business. So he's like super motivated to, you know, push the business plan and grow it. But, you know, it's it's been amazing. And, you know, that's the power of, of real estate. What impact on your net worth has this transition to real estate made? What was your net worth before real estate? And then how soon after that did it did it explode? You know, I I can tell you that before I started investing heavily in real estate, it was probably in the 20s. So I've at least doubled it, uh, if not more. And since I've been investing in real estate because because of leverage, too. So there's two there's two reasons, right? Like when, when I buy property, I don't I don't buy only with my own money. I buy with bank's money. So now the bank is giving me money to buy an asset that is typically four times as valuable as what I'm putting in my money. So that leverage 
helps me get into a much more valuable piece of property. And also where I'm buying with investors, because I'm the one finding the deal, managing the deal, uh, implementing the business plan and being the manager or general partner, I get to control equity in these investments without money. So you get to control 20 to 30% of the total equity of the property without capital, just for my efforts. So I walk into 20 to 30% of equity and it creates it overnight, right? As soon as I close the deal, I'm owner of 20, 30% of the equity of a deal. And then, and then the third part of this is when I implement the business plan, for example, in this property that I was telling you about, we've increased the value of the property 50% in one year. Now, that means that my equity in that deal has not increased in value 50%. It has doubled in value because remember, three parts of the acquisition price is loan money and the loan money doesn't have any equity. Our, our equity position, our cash has the equity. So it, so it grows super fast. So there's three big forces that push your net worth very, very fast up compared to just business alone, which would be your EBITDA, right? Your profit. Like the more money you make in profit, the more you grow. But in real estate, you have three things that are just as equally important to grow your net worth. Really valuable information there. You mentioned that these that these real estate investments are not in the state that you're living in. How do you manage that? Is that complicated? What made you choose that? Enlighten us a little bit on those. Yeah. You know, typically with small properties, you wouldn't want to do that. Like you you would actually want to have your triplex, your duplex, like close by just in case. So you can check on it. With these big properties, you have to necessarily have a property management company that is a professional property management company that gets paid significant amount of money to manage your property day to day. Now, I'm a little bit of a control freak. So when I was having this thought of, man, these properties are in Tennessee, in Georgia, in Alabama, in Florida, and Texas, I'm like, I'm in Denver, right? I'm not, I'm not going to move there. But in a way, it was good because it forced me to now think about, you know what? I want someone like me that acts like an owner, looks at the property like an owner in these places. So on top of the property manager, I install what I call an asset manager that works for me. It's my team that I meet on a very regular basis. And that also is incentivized not only by a salary and maybe even a unit at the, at the building, but is incentivized that over a period of time, if we perform on our business plan, that person earns equity in the business, in the property. So I'll give you an example. The property that I told you guys about that is in front of a hospital that we've increased the value of $9 million in a year. My asset manager is 21 years old and he's now owner of equity in that property, but he babies my asset. Like, like he takes care of the property. Like you wouldn't believe the tenants, you know, concierge service. It's a luxury property, so it's concierge service. And uh, when I proposed this to my lender and the broker in the beginning, they laughed at me. They said, there's no way this 21-year-old kid can handle your business. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll try it. Let me try it, right? No one's laughing now because I've raised the value of the property by $9 million. And we're on our way to raise that same property has another $7 million of upside this year by filling the remainder commercial spaces in the property. But now I have someone that instead of, you know, you know, you know what happens many times when, when you have like remote companies managing your deals, they're, you know, they get a call from an interested person and they're like, yeah, yeah, um, it's Tuesday. And they're like, yeah, we, we can show you the property on Thursday or on Friday, right? I think we have an opening on Friday or how about, how about next week? You know, and when people want to do business, they don't want to do business next week. They want to do business today or tomorrow. <laughs> and I always say money loves speed. So if someone wants to see my units tomorrow, my asset manager shows them the units tomorrow or many times today. And I can't tell you how many leases we've signed by just providing that speed of action and just taking good care of people that they're hitting a wall somewhere else because they won't show them the apartment until three days from now. Or now there's this ridiculous thing of people self-showing the apartments to themselves, right? With with like like smart locks and stuff like that. It's like, what about if I have a question though, right? It's like, do I have to like email you after I see the apartment? 
So a lot of people are losing business to me because I have someone that actually super well trained showing them the apartments, the commercial units, treating them like we want their business and following up. And, you know, that's that's really how I've done it. And this is an actual gap in the real estate world. Like like for some reason, e-commerce is hyper evolved to marketing and customer service and fulfillment and all these things because otherwise you go out of business, right? Amazon has has forced everyone to be conditioned to fastest shipping on the planet, returns no questions asked, customer service that is unbelievable. So the only things I did, Stacy, was I took my e-commerce skills and I put them in my real estate world and boy, was the real estate world hungry for those skills because now my properties are reflecting these things that I just told you in the other business, right? Top customer service. Like just just go and check a few apartment complexes in your area and take a look at the reviews. Like you you you'll feel silk, sick to your stomach because the average review of an apartment large apartment complex in America is like two and a half stars. That's how bad it is. Because they have not yet moved over to the internet the way that the e-commerce business has moved over to the internet. Right. If I had two and a half stars on my Amazon listings, I was bankrupt. My business was over. Nobody would buy from me. So I know how important it is for my properties to have four and a half stars or above. And when people want to live there, they look at that as like, cool, they treat people well here. So those are just a few tips. I I could talk all night about some of the things we do at the properties that just elevated and and increase the business, but it's all from the years of experience in the other companies. I'm really impressed on your problem solving skills and how oftentimes throughout your whole journey, you created a business to solve a problem that you already had, or someone says they want to park something there and you're, you suddenly the next day have a price list. You've got a new business all of a sudden <laughs> because someone asked you a question, you thought about it before you answered and came, came back with a new solution. You're solving problems. You're solving other people's problems. Actually, throughout all of these, even when it comes to this real estate, you're solving other people's problems. And that's what makes people choose you because you are someone who finds solutions. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think it's uh, part of uh, growing up in a third world country and, and having that perspective of, you know, limited opportunity, limit, limited resources, like be super flexible and pivot quickly and turn on a dime if you need to, to you just resolve. And, and, and there's, there's always, there's always a solution to everything, right? There's, I always say there are no problems, just opportunities. Love that. One business that we haven't discussed yet, and I don't know if you're shy about it or what, this magazine, this mountain biking magazine that you had <laughs> in South America back, back in the early <laughs> days at 19 years old, that was the very, is that the very, very first business? That was our very first official business. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. But <laughs> but it, but it, it was it was I'll tell you the story of that one is is it was super super cool. I was I was in college at the time already here. My brother who's 3 years younger than me was still in Ecuador and uh I used to go home for my summer break. So I went back the first year of college for my summer break. And we were, I was, you know, when I was growing up, I I flew paragliders and I did mountain bike and all kinds of different sports. And when I went back, we, we were like doing mountain biking heavily and we were a little bored. I mean, we were, you know, going to the races and doing stuff and, and we're like sitting down uh, looking at each other and like, Hey, why don't we start a business while, while I'm here for three months? Cause you know, my break was three months and uh, I was like, yeah, what do we do? And it's like, well, you know what? There's really no magazines for mountain biking in Ecuador. Like there was nothing. So we're like, you know, we're, we're the kids of a printer. Uh, we're going to ask my dad to let us, let us use the machines. And of course he charges for the paper. He charges for the ink and uh, we had to put the labor, but we created this, uh, four pager magazine that was, you know, like literally like this, right? It was, it was just like that black and white. First edition was black and white. And, uh, we took the pictures ourselves. We wrote the articles ourselves. We sold the advertising ourselves. In the first one, I think we had like two, three companies that that looked at us and said, "These kids are crazy. Let's let's just support them because I feel sorry for them." And uh, and you know that's how the magazine started. And then over the period of the next four years, it grew to be one of the biggest sports magazines in South America <laughs> because now we were you know full color. Uh, we had at some point almost thirty pages in there. Distribution in Ecuador, Peru, uh, Colombia. 
And, um, you know, it's funny because when, when I came back to college, I was still doing all the remote stuff. I was still writing the articles remotely. Um, my brother was back home taking the pictures. My mom had, had to jump in to help us out. So she became our, our, uh, our, you know, office manager slash project director. And, uh, you know, it, it just grew, grew, grew. And, and then when, when my brother had to come to college, that's when we decided that uh, it was time to go. And my mom kind of took care of it for another year and a half, two years. And then we, we sold it. We sold it to, uh, to, uh, to a group and it was, you know, we didn't know how to sell a business. So we probably sold it for way too cheap, but you know, that was the story of, uh, our mountain biking magazine in South America when I was still 19 That's years awesome. old. That's awesome. So Carlos, question for you, as your net worth has grown, how have you thought about your personal liquidity positions? Do you have a specific formula that you use with how much cash you want to keep on hand? Or or is that just kind of wild, wild west and you kind of run it by the feel? You know, I've always been a saver and, and stacker of, of cash. So I've always kept a, a healthy reserve. Uh, and of course, I'll, I'll tell you, Jay's, I I didn't know money for the first 10 years of my career. Like, like if you ask me, how does debt work? How does, uh, you know, investing money work? I, I, I didn't, I, I knew how to sell. I knew how to sell. I knew how to create profit. And, uh, you know, I've, I've learned everything along the way because I didn't have anybody to learn from. Not until I started getting mentors and coaches and going to masterminds and all this stuff is when I really understood investments where i mean i understood uh all you know financials and in taxes and all these things so uh but but i i've always was living way below our, my means like still today like we we have a beautiful house and 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 everything but we live like way below our means like i don't have lamborghinis i don't have uh you know i don't have uh, uh rolex watches none of that stuff attracts me I, I i i like to go on vacation with my kids right that's that's what that's what is my 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 fun time and I like to build businesses and in this case I like to acquire properties and give other people opportunity. So I've always kept a healthy amount of cash reserves and also right now I am still doing that because there's these amazing deals that are going to pop off in the next 90 to uh 90 days to 120 days because of the interest rates because we have a lot of sellers in the market that thought they could sell at the top of the market and they didn't. And it took him a good six months to nine months to kind of w- get out of the shock knowing that, shoot, interest rates are not going to come down anytime soon. I thought I was about to cash out, but I've been sitting on this property five, seven, 10 years. You know, I have a ton of equity in it or my loan is coming due. Let me get rid of it at whatever the market price commands. So that's what my cash is for right now. And also, the uh, when you buy these big properties, the lenders do require you to keep some healthy cash reserves, right? Because it's part of the it's part of the game. Yeah, for sure. So you say you don't have a Rolex or you don't care about some of these things, but has your lifestyle increased? Has your net worth has increased? And and if so, are there any particular splurges that you that you like to have? Oh man, not really, man. But uh, go, going on vacation. I mean, that's that's it. That's it. Like, like, look, I'll, I'll, I, I love cars. I love jets. I love all that stuff. But I don't, I don't think I'd like to have a Lamborghini in my driveway collecting dust for four out of the five days of the week. Like, really? It's, it's just not. I'll rent one, right? We'll go ride it and, and my son will probably be excited about it. But other than that, it's like, what for? Right. I'll, 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 I'll go. F- fly private somewhere to to treat my wife to something fun but then you know having that much sitting on a hanger like for a lot of the time why i'd rather put that money to work in a in a big real estate deal that cash flows and gives me tax benefit yeah i hear you what what are you doing to teach your kids about money and business and real estate right now it's a great question so you know i i make very intentional time to sit down with them every day for 30 to 40 minutes and teach them one concept like we we go over uh what is debt right and how i use it versus how the rest of the world uses it uh what is what is money like how do you turn money into an asset how do you uh how what is it to be disciplined or 
what is consistency, you know, like all these concepts that I wish that my dad would have sat me down and said, hey, son, let me teach you a few lessons. So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting with them. I'm documenting that. They're taking notes. I'm taking my own notes. And we're just keeping our journals of these lessons that I hope one day they can say, you know what? My dad taught me these things when I was little. Uh, let me pass it on to you. And, and that'll be my grandkids, right? And hopefully their grandkids and stuff like that. So just little things like that. Because, you know, school is great and all for them to learn math and English and history and, and some other stuff. But who teaches them really the, the, the skills to survive the world and to be able to learn about taxes and finance and these things that no one teaches out there? So I'm, I'm really intentional at filling those gaps. And, uh, and like today, right, we were coming back from my daughter's volleyball game and I was rushing to, to make sure that I was here on time for you guys. And, um, and we stopped at a, at a red light and my son was with me and he looked over there uh, to the right and there was this big storage facility, right? One of those uh, public storage. And uh, he's like, dad, that's a huge warehouse. And um, you have a warehouse like that, right? They, they store stuff. And, and I'm like, yeah, but they're a little bit different. You know that they rent by the unit. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You taught me about that. They rent by the unit. And when they increase the rent, the value of that property explodes. Like he said that. And I'm like, wow, right? Because a few weeks ago, I taught him about units and I taught him about rentals and I taught him about storage units. So that was one of the things that he picked up and, you know, you'll be surprised of how your kids pick up on these things that you don't even know, but he's particularly interested in numbers and math and stuff like that. So he loves that stuff. That's awesome. Well, let's uh, wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What is uh, the most expensive pair of shoes that you purchased? I don't purchase, I don't purchase my shoes. My wife does. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> Got the wrong person on the podcast right now for these questions. <laughs> what, what about the most expensive meal out? Uh, you know, probably four or 500 bucks. Okay. What about the most expensive car? My most expensive car is my wife's Escalade. Okay. Uh, what's a key lesson that you learned from childhood? You know, just persistence, like not giving up. Like I saw my dad just uh, fight cancer three times, survive because he was relentless. Um, he never gave up. You know, he was, he was like dirt poor when he, he was a kid and, and growing up and, and, uh, you know, he, he moved himself up society from a little village in Ecuador with no more than a couple hundred people to moving himself to the capital, teaching himself English, uh, starting a business at 40 years old and, and, uh, buy a machine and then become an international machine dealer for for printing machines so you know that 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 ascension i I always admire that so i think that that persistence that relentlessness i picked up from him for sure what is the most fun that you've had with money i think the most fun that i've had with money is uh when i've when i've given it away like literally when we've when we've donated it to a good cause like giving it to a family that needs it or, you know, uh, help build uh, houses in third world countries, things like that. That's fun. Okay. What is the craziest thing that you've ever done to earn money, which we may have already heard, but um, <laughs> if you got a better answer again. That's the crazy man. I have so many crazy things that I've done. You, you want to pay him, he's in. So I... <laughs> 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 no, look, I, I think uh, so there was uh, and, and we still did it even not even two years ago. We had a bunch of customers that for one reason or another didn't do well on the Internet. And they were like, they just stop paying their bills. Right. So when people stop paying their bills, guess who owns their inventory? So we own our inventory, but typically that inventory is not very good seller online. And on my warehouse property, we have this big old parking lot in the front. So I had this crazy idea one day. It's like, guys, let's just do like a mega garage sale thing. And, you know, my employees thought I was nuts and, and, and we're like, okay, let's do it. So I brought everybody uh, on, a, on a weekend and I said, look, I'll split the profit with you guys. I know you guys don't want to work weekends, but I'll... I'll I'll split the profit. And they're like, yeah, but we're not going to sell anything. And we're like, watch me. So we were out there with flags and just horns and stuff like that. And we had probably 30 pallets on the parking lot. And and then people would come and park their cars and just go through the pallets of all this excess merchandise. And I, you know, it was crazy prices because the cost of that good, those goods for me was free, right? Zero. 
So I was like doing, I was doing like, hey, you know, if you buy, if you buy one, it's five dollars. If you buy four, it's fifteen. So I never took less than a ten dollar bill like that, right? Because I was always upselling them to more. And uh, you know, on a weekend, we we made twenty five thousand dollars just from selling wow stuff on a parking lot that uh, at some point we thought we were gonna throw away in the trash. <laughs> That's crazy. What has been the most fun bucket list or trip that you've taken or most memorable one? You know, I, uh, we went to Italy and Spain with um, my wife and kids uh, a year before COVID. And, uh, you know, um, my wife had never been to Portugal and Spain and Italy. So just seeing her and, and my kids enjoy that trip, you know, that that was awesome. What what's still on the list that you're looking forward to? You know, we still want to go to uh, to Greece. The kids want to go to Japan and China and Thailand. And um, you know, now that 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 you know, we we can travel again. You know, so probably next year we'll go to Japan and take. I remember my dad took us on a on a Asia tour, and I still remember like it was yesterday the the Great Wall of China and all those things. So uh, my kids want to go do that, and then my wife wants to go to Greece and and Spain again. So we'll probably do that in the next couple of years. Awesome. How do you balance the pursuit of of success and the hard charging entrepreneurial vision that you have with all the other demands of your family, your life, lifestyle, etc. You know, I'm super fortunate that my wife knew what she was getting into from day one because when I met her, uh, I told her and uh, we wrote a contract like it was literally a one pager with about 20 bullet points of, hey, here's the stuff that we want to accomplish together. And there was a bunch of things that I wanted to accomplish for business and finances and, you know, when we're going to be millionaires and all these things. So like, like she knew what to expect, especially early on in those first, I would say 10 years of my business, I was working seven days a week. You know, she was with me pretty much every day at the office. I remember our first Christmas that we had our first Black Friday that we had any decent orders. We were like selling maybe 300 units a day online. And then we showed up to the office and we had like 5,000 orders to ship on Black Friday from like 300 to 5,000. And it was just the two of us. By then I had taught my mom and her husband to build a business on eBay. So they left me. They became millionaires with their eBay business. Uh, and then it was my wife, one employee and me. And we're like, oh, shoot, man, we're going to, what do we do? We slept in the office four days, packing these orders and shipping them out. My seven-year-old son at the time, that is now 25, slept on the office couch for three days because we needed to get the orders out. And, wow. uh, you know, so she's new. Uh, so when my twins were born 12 years ago, that was the time when she could stay home with them and still work a few hours from here. But, you know, I was I was being very intentional about designing my life in a way that I can do it. And uh, I bought my warehouse um, and then about... Three months later, I bought the house where I'm in right now. That is five minutes away from the warehouse, so we're super close to work. And you know, um, um, I, 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 I balance things in pockets, right? So I would, I, I work early in the morning. I go work out with my wife at 11:30. We have lunch here at home, and then I go back to the office 1:30, 2 o'clock. Work until like you know six o'clock or so. Go to the sports. Go to their stuff, and uh, you know I, I I make time for everything. So I'm at their games. I'm I'm at their stuff, and and if I need to take two two three hours during the day, I can because you know I'm I, I'm, yep. I'm the business. <laughs> yep, yep. What's a, a closely held belief that you recently or that you once had that you recently changed? Oh man, I had to unlearn a lot of stuff. So from my dad again, you know, I learned a whole bunch of great things. But I also picked up on some bad habits, like he was super stubborn. He never had partners. He thought debt was evil. So I had to give up the no partners situation and the no coaching situation because that was the only way that I was able to level up after I achieved certain success, right? I had to go find somebody that was way more successful than me and use that that framework to get to the next level. So I had to give up the no partners idea uh, at some point like for the first 10 years of my business i bootstrapped everything 
never got a loan. Like I maxed out my credit cards, but it was my credit cards and I would pay them off every month. Right. But it was never like, oh, yeah, let me go get a loan and finance this and in, uh, raise capital from other people. None of that. I, di- I didn't raise capital until I started buying large real estate. So, you know, I had to learn how to use debt properly to leverage and build big businesses. Uh, because before I was like, nope, I have to own everything 100%, no debt. And, you know, when I gave up those beliefs, that's when my net worth exploded because I learned how to use it properly. How old were you when you became a millionaire? You know, it's probably 29 years old after I started my business at 24. So I would say 29, 30. And then how fast do you think that second came? Within half a year. Nice. And well, once once you learn how to make one, you can you can repeat that quick. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Well, what's your final piece of advice for somebody who's just starting out? You know, I think if I would do it all over again, you just have to lean on someone that already knows the blueprint and be humble enough to be mentor and coached and uh, admit that you don't know it all, that you actually don't know anything. I'm still that way today. I'm a forever student now and uh, just work for free if you have to, right? Because at the end of the day, what you probably owe that person more than than he owes you if you are for free, if he's teaching you skills that can take you to multi-million dollar status in half of the time, a third of the time, maybe a quarter of the time, if you think about it that way. Awesome. That's Carlos with a net worth of 51 plus million dollars. Thanks for coming to the show today. Thank you, Jace. Thank you, Stacy. Appreciate you guys. Have a wonderful night. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.